Good morning. It is good to see all of you. Thank you for coming, worshiping with us here this morning at Ivy Creek Baptist Church. I wanted to just add my welcome uh, to Pastor Ted's from earlier and also just to be able to say it's just wonderful to be able to fellowship uh, with you today and uh, to be able to, uh, to spend time getting to, to, to meet some of you for the first time, but also just to get to continue to be able to, to, to get to know some of the rest of you. And, and uh, it's exciting to do that. It's exciting to, to, to sing praises. To one, with one another and to be able to, to, to be able to lift our voices uh, in praise and we've been able to do that this morning but now we come to that time in our service where we as a church family gather together and we open the word of God and we, we gather around it and we read it and we study it so that it might be uh, made applicable to us that we might understand how it's to change our lives so if you brought your Bibles with you this morning and I certainly hope that you have would you please take them and turn with me once again to Mark's gospel the first chapter Mark chapter 1, and we are going to be looking at verses 40 through 45. We're really going to be summing up and, and finishing up chapter 1 of Mark's gospel. And, and, and this morning as we focus our attention on yet another passage, what we're going to see is Jesus once again perform a miracle. We've already seen him uh, perform miracles thus far. And in fact, we're going to see him perform a, a lot more miracles as we move through uh, this gospel account. And, and, and as a matter of fact, when I, when I introduced the gospel to you a few weeks ago, I told you that Mark actually records more, God, more miracles in his gospel than do Matthew and Luke, even though Mark is a much shorter gospel in, in, in some. It, it's a shorter passage, but it records more miracles than either of the other two do. He, in fact, Mark records more miracles than he does the sermons that Jesus preached. Now, that doesn't mean that, that, that there's not something for us to learn uh, from that. I think there's actually a lot that we learn from the miracles that Jesus performs. As a matter of fact, the truth is that many of Jesus' miracles, they are actually parables that display for us the changes that occur in our lives when the Lord comes in and touches us and when he changes us. Uh, I like how one author put it this week. He says, when, when Jesus healed the blind man, that portrayed Christ's illumination of darkened hearts. When he, when he calmed the storm, he told of, that, that told of the power that he has to bring the, our troubled hearts down to a peaceful situation. When he, when he raised the dead, that proclaimed that he had life-giving power. When he fed the 5,000, that spoke of him being the bread of life. And so when we see the miracles that Jesus performed, we recognize that oftentimes he's teaching us a lesson in the process of doing these miracles, a lesson that runs deeper than just the miracle itself. And as we come to the passage that we're going to look at this morning, from verses 40 to 45, we're going to see the same thing. Because as Jesus heals a man who was afflicted with the horrible disease of leprosy, we're going to see yet again this deep spiritual truth that what happens each time a sinner comes to the Lord begging for deliverance and from, uh, to be healed from the disease of sin. So that's what we're going to see this morning. Let's, let's open our Bibles. Let's read about this passage beginning in verse 40 of Mark chapter 1. Hear, hear what the Bible says. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And Jesus strictly warned him and said and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way 
show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing the things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Our Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this opportunity that we've been given to be able to come together to worship you. And Lord, we've been able to do that through a number of ways this morning, but right now we come before your holy word. I pray that you would help us to push out all the distractions of this past week and maybe the things that are even upcoming this next week, maybe even today. Help us for these few moments to be able to understand the things that we don't know, that you would give us wisdom and clarity to it. And then, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would bring conviction into our lives and, 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 and application into our lives that we may recognize how we are to take that which you present to us today, that we might become more and more like Jesus when we leave this place. We pray this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Now, if you were with us last week or if you've, if you've gone back and read, you'll, you hopefully will recognize that Jesus had engaged in healing many people inside the city of Capernaum. And, and the people of Capernaum, along with his disciples, they had come to Jesus when he had left and gone out to this quiet, deserted place to pray. They'd come out trying to strong arm him back into the city of Capernaum so that he could continue in the ministry of healing that he had begun the day before. But what we learned as we studied that passage last week was that Jesus was, was not interested. His, his number one priority was not in becoming a healer of physical diseases. His number one priority was not to be a miracle worker. Rather, his, his primary purpose, his, his number one agenda was what he told, told, tells them there in verse 38. In verse 38, he says his desire was to go into the next towns because he says, I want to preach there also because for this purpose I have come forth. So what we see is that Jesus's priority, his agenda was to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the good news of the, the inbreaking of the, the power of the, the kingdom of God and that, that that kingdom was at hand and that as a result of that, we as people need to repent and believe the gospel. Verse 39 indicates that he went out into other synagogues and other towns and he began to, to do just that. But then in verse 40, as we began this morning, we find that the issue of physical healing comes back into the picture because Mark tells us that Jesus was sought out by a man who begged him for healing. He was a man who was afflicted with a horrible disease called leprosy. And as we'll see though, this miracle of healing really serves as a parable, as I mentioned earlier. It serves as a symbol for what it looks like when, when a person is spiritually delivered from the horrible disease and the deadly effects of sin. Now, Mark tells us that this man who approached Jesus had leprosy, but we learned that he has an advanced case of leprosy when we read the parallel account of this in Luke's gospel. Luke says that the man who approached Jesus was full of leprosy. In other words, the, this disease of leprosy had run its full course in his life. The word leprosy really is a generic term in Scripture that's used to, to sort of describe a wide variety of, of skin ailments. But the most extreme type of leprosy that the Bible refers to 
is, is called Hansen's disease today. Hansen's disease is really a neurological order, disorder really. It, it causes the loss of feelings in the extremities. It, it starts sometimes in the toes and in the feet, sometimes in the fingertips, the earlobes, the nose, the extremities of one's body, it, it, it attacks those extremities. And, and what begins to happen is that devastation follows because ultimately those, those fingertips and those toes and everything, they can't feel pain. And as a result of that, there's an oftentimes what begins to happen is those, those, those diseases begin to cause rotting to take place and, and things really, it, it becomes a foul disease. And, and, and oftentimes to have been diagnosed with that disease in ancient times really would have struck fear in the hearts of those people the way that oftentimes when we get a, a diagnosis today of an advanced staged cancer strikes fear in our hearts. But I want you to know that the physical nature of this disease of leprosy, it was only the beginning of the pain and the torture that this leper would have experienced in his life. See, there was also a stigma attached to leprosy. And we find that because of the specific regulations that are given with regard to those who had leprosy in the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, we find that Moses writes this. He says, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothing and they shall let their hair hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. Moses goes on to say that he shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, based upon these regulations, one author that I read this week offers this comment. He says, we can hardly imagine the humiliation and isolation of a leper's life. Not only was this disease itself a virtual death sentence, but such a person who had it was ostracized from society and had to assume a disheveled appearance. And the reason that that was the case is because when anybody would see them from a distance, they would know that that person had leprosy and they could maintain their distance from them and thereby not become unclean themselves by becoming too close of contact. Then there was the ultimate degradation of having to cry, unclean, unclean whenever he came into range of normal population. He was a dead man walking. He was, a, he was an outcast. He was an exile. He was a castaway. Another way to describe a leper, simply put, is, is that he was an untouchable. He was someone who, who was too polluted. He was too rank as a worthy human being for human contact. Philip Graham Rankin summarizes the life of, a, of an untouchable person this way. He says, nobody wants to be one. Nobody wants to touch one. That, that pretty well sums up the life of a leper. And it was this kind of an experience that drove this man to Jesus. He came to him imploring him, begging him, pleading with him for healing. Now, if we can kind of use a little bit of imagination this morning, maybe we can sort of reset the scene. Because Matthew says that there was a, a multitude of people surrounding Jesus when he writes about this particular incident. Luke doesn't say that, but he says that he was inside the town. And so we can begin to imagine that there were a number of people inside the town when this happened. Mark says that, that he came to Jesus begging and pleading. And so with a little imagination, we can begin to see all these crowds that were beginning to follow Jesus were all pressing in upon him. And suddenly off in the distance, you can begin to hear the sound. 
Unclean. Unclean. I'm unclean. And as you look, you can begin to see from way back the, the crowds begin to part. And as they part, the sound got louder. Unclean. Unclean. You can probably begin to see the people gasping as they caught sight of this individual who obviously would have been a horrible picture to see. Someone who had lost limbs and, 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 and looked as bad and as disheveled as he looked. But he continued to make his way and people, many would have gasped and fallen back. Some would have cursed him because he had come too close to them and they were afraid of what might happen to them if they touched him. The whole time he keeps coming, unclean, unclean, I'm unclean. And he makes his way to Jesus. Now, what we begin to see in that picture is that Mark is introducing us to a man who is in desperate need. It's a man who cannot help himself. It's a man who is, in, who is an outcast. He's an untouchable man who is little more than a dead man walking. And here's the reason why it is so important that we focus on that image. But it's because it's because, as Kent Hughes has put it, the leper is a physical illustration of the heart of every human being. If for a moment we could see visible in, a visible incarnation of ourselves apart from the cleansing work of Christ, we would see ourselves as the walking dead. We would see ourselves as folks who are dead in our trespasses and sins. And we would see ourselves as folks who are trying to cover ourselves with filthy rags. In another place, Kent Hughes writes this. He says that the spiritual reality for all of us is that we are spiritual lepers. That's what this image of this man is designed to teach us. Unfortunately, however, unlike the leper in this passage, we often are unconscious of our sin. We're unconscious of the pervasive nature of our sinful condition. Friends, as offensive as it may be to our sense of, our sense of dignity and self-worth and, and pride, for us to truly appreciate what this passage teaches us, we must recognize that in this story, you and I are the leper. That's who we are. You see, the leprous condition of this man is an ugly but accurate illustration of the spiritual condition that we have prior to being healed by the gospel. Therefore, leprosy serves as a symbol of, of our sin. It's an outward and visible sign of a deep spiritual corruption. Our sin makes us unclean. And our depravity is a disfiguring disease that distorts the person that God created for us to be. Indeed, sin like leprosy is a, is a kind of living death. Because the Bible tells us that apart from Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Though we may breathe and walk around in our physical bodies, spiritually we are dead in our trespasses and sins apart from Christ. In many ways, our lives are, are, that are wrecked by sin and by depravity scream out just like that leper. I'm unclean. I'm unclean. And our recognition of that fact is critical. You see, here we identify the first and fundamental qualification for obtaining the healing touch that Jesus, designed, or Jesus desired for this leper to have. And, and this leper deliberately sought it. It's an awareness of our condition. 
The leper was a man who was desperate for a touch from Christ. He was an unclean outcast. He was an untouchable who, who was completely unclean and he knew that he was. A man who apart from the healing of Jesus was utterly hopeless. And that leads me to the first point that I want you to note on your outline this morning. You see, if, if, if you are to experience the healing touch of Jesus, you must begin by recognizing your unclean and hopeless condition apart from Him. Friend, unless, unless you come to grips with the true reality of, of your life apart from Christ, you'll never experience the healing touch that comes from being united to Christ. To quote Hughes once more, he says, the less we know that there's anything wrong with us, the more full-blown our leprosy actually is. In other words, to deny your sinfulness is to deny your need of healing. And to deny your need of healing is to continue in your disease and to remain hopeless. Now, in Matthew's gospel, this, this, this healing of the leper occurs immediately following Jesus preaching his Sermon on the Mount. And you'll probably remember that the Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes tell us who it is that is actually blessed. Who it is that it actually is, is happy. And, and so the very first Beatitude that Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount with, He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, think about this with regard to the leper. Wouldn't you agree with me that this leper was truly poor in spirit? I mean... He knew that he had what he had to announce whenever he came into, into populated society that he was unclean. He knew that to be true. He didn't have to have anybody tell him that. He could tell from the disease on his own body that he was unclean. All he could do was come and ask for mercy. That first beatitude then tells you and I how we must come to Jesus. We must come the same way. We must come recognizing that our, we have a complete spiritual poverty. We cannot come to Jesus offering Him any righteousness of our own. We are completely spiritual paupers who must come to Christ having nothing that we bring, yet asking Him for all that He has to offer. Jesus says such a person who comes to Jesus that way is blessed. He's happy. The second beatitude in, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount tells us, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, who could mourn more than this pathetic leper? I mean, he was, in effect, a dead man walking. He was miserable. He was humiliated because of this disease. And in that way, he illustrates for us what our view of ourselves, apart from Christ, must be. In fact, the Greek word translated mourning is a very severe word that conveys the idea of a deep inner spiritual agony. And what did that deep inner agony propel this leper to do? But to throw himself on the mercy of the only one who could help him. I love how verse 40 talks about it. It says the leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him. Jesus is the, is the one that the leper is, is coming to. Luke says that he, he came and he fell on his face. He just flat fell down in front of Jesus, begging for Jesus to do something for him. The picture that we are left with when we, when we see that is a man who makes his way to Jesus falling prostrate on the ground before him in humility. Which leads me to the second point that I want you to see. 
The second point in your outline is this. If you are to experience the healing touch of Jesus, you must not come casually or irreverently, but rather you must humbly bow your heart and life before him in realization that he is your only hope. I want you to understand this. You cannot accurately evaluate the effects of your sin and depravity and maintain a flippant and nonchalant attitude toward Jesus. It's impossible to do that. If you truly come to a recognition of who you are apart from Christ, then when you realize who you are apart from Christ, there is no way that you can remain flippant and nonchalant and take it or leave it about Jesus. You can't. That is true of the sinner who has never come to Christ and it is true of those of us who are believers who still struggle with sin. When we recognize what sin does to us, when we recognize of the blemish that it makes upon us, when we realize the, the, the debt that it costs, we cannot remain nonchalant. A true deep and inner agony over sin will cause one to approach Jesus just as this leper did. With humble submission. Since I introduced the Beatitudes to you, let me remind you of the third one, because there Jesus tells us, that Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, this is how we see the leper approach Jesus. He demonstrated such meekness and humility. He didn't approach Jesus presumptuously or arrogantly. He didn't come demanding that Jesus do anything. He came to him and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. There was no pride. Friend, there is no other way to approach God than to come before him humbly, asking and begging for his healing touch. Now, here's what we do know based upon the leper's approach to Jesus, though. He had heard that Jesus had healed. He knew that Jesus had the power to heal him. He knew he had the ability to heal him. So consequently, he concluded that if Christ desired to heal him, that Christ would. And so he expressed a confidence that if Christ so chose to do it, he could make him whole. And that leads me to the third point that I want you to see on your outline. See, if you are to experience the healing touch of Jesus, you must believe that he can make you clean. Friend, that's what faith is all about. It's about throwing the full weight of who you are into the waiting arms of Jesus and trusting with all of your heart that he will catch you. Do you realize that you exhibit faith every day? Every one of you exhibited faith when you came in here and you sat down in that pew or on those chairs. You put the full weight of your physical body on faith. You, you had faith that that pew was going to catch you and hold you up. I want you to understand faith in Christ spiritually is the same thing. You throw the full weight of who you are. Everything about you, you throw into the hands of Christ, expecting and fully trusting that he will catch you and that he will do it based upon the fact that he has died for you and, and given himself in your place. That's what this desperate man believed. If he could get to Jesus, he would be well. Now, We've only made it through verse 40. Some of you are thinking, wow, how long are we going to be here? Well, the fact that the 930 service got dismissed, you know it doesn't last all day, so you're in good shape there. But here's what I want you to think about for a second. I hope as we've just looked at verse 40, 
I want you to see this. This verse is so ugly as it pertains to the leper and the life that he had. And it's so ugly as it pertains to, to us as sinners. And yet, it is so beautiful as it pertains to the hope that the leper had and the hope that you and I have and the who it's centered in, in Jesus. That's how beautiful and yet how ugly verse 40 is. But then I want you to get to verses 41 and 42. In fact, let me just read them for you again. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him. Wow. He touched him. And then he said to him, I am willing. Be cleansed. And then Mark gives us this commentary. And he says, immediately, the leprosy left him. And he was cleansed. I'm just going to tell you, I don't think there's two more beautiful verses in all of Scripture than those two. You can look high and low and you'll find the gospel in a lot of other places and they're beautiful pictures. You won't find a more beautiful picture than right there. Understand this. Jesus Christ did something no one else would have dared to do. He took his pure, sinless, perfect hand and laid it on the scabrous skin of a man who was so defiled that nobody would even come in close contact with him, much less touch him. Now, I want you to know, we don't know how old this man was. We have no idea how long it had been since he had had any human contact. Perhaps it had been decades since he had felt the touch of another human being. Jesus, being moved with compassion, reached out his hand and touched the untouchable. He didn't have to do that. I mean, you realize that Jesus is the agent of creation and according, according to what we learned there in John 1 of what happened back in Genesis, when Jesus spoke, things came into existence. And many times when He even spoke to people who were healed, all He had to do was provide a word and their healing came about. But in this particular instance, He laid His hands on this man and He healed him. And I think in that we get a, another picture we get another picture of the fact that Jesus wanted to identify with us as humans. Because see, here we really get a parable of what the incarnation is all about. What we see is that Jesus took on flesh. Just as Paul writes to us about in Philippians 2, that he emptied himself and he made himself of no reputation. Literally, he made himself nothing. He took on the form of a bondservant and came in the likeness of man. And though he was still fully God, he possessed all the qualities and characteristics and attributes of God. Jesus also touched humanity by taking on all the full qualities and characteristics and attributes of a man. And not just any man, but he was a pauper. He was a slave. He was one with no rights and no rank and no privilege and no power and no significance and no status other than he came to serve. And how did he come to serve us? Well, he came to remove our sin by taking our place. 
That's what Paul tells us in, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's why, it's why Jesus goes on to tell us in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Uh, think about this. The leper was unclean when he came to Jesus. Then Jesus touched him and suddenly, immediately, Mark says, his uncleanness left him. He was no longer leprous. And the lesson that we learn from that is that Jesus took away the leper's disease and completely cleansed him. And he does the same thing to you and I when we come to him and express our faith in his atoning work on our behalf. He lays hold of our flesh, he touches us, and he heals us of sin's disease. You see, the greatest story that we will ever be told is that we who are hopeless and helpless actually have hope and we have help, and it comes in the man, Jesus Christ. Now, in some ways, I wish the story ended right there. Because if it could, we'd get out at 5 to 12, and y'all would be a lot happier. <laughs> but it doesn't. Very quickly, I want to show you how it does end, though. You see, verse 43, Jesus kind of snorts at the guy. That's the Greek word that he says there when he talks to him sternly strictly warned him there's, there's the idea of a snort kind of like a horse snorts Jesus kind of snorted at this guy and, and scholars really debate well, why does he do that but he sends him away and he says and he strictly warned him don't you say a word to anybody you go and you show yourself to the priest and you do all the things that you're supposed to do that Moses said in the law according to the law how you're supposed to be brought back in this normal society that's what you do but you don't say anything that's a strange command isn't it I mean, can you imagine what it was like for this man who had been unclean for so long, ever how long it had been? And every time he had come into, in, in, into this kind of a populated area, he'd have to yell, unclean, unclean, unclean. Well, now all of a sudden his fingers are good and his hands are good and his feet are good and his eyes are good and his ears are good. And he's been healed. Man, the first thing he wanted to say is, I'm clean, I'm clean. Jesus Christ has made me clean. I have a hard time faulting the guy. But the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus said, don't say anything. Now, here's what we know. The result of it was, is that because he made it known so widely, so many more came looking for healing from Jesus, that it says Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. Now hold on to this. I want you to note the irony of that statement that Mark gives us there. You see, before entering and encountering Jesus, this leper would have lived in the wilderness. He would have lived in the isolated places outside the camp. But after meeting Jesus and experiencing the miraculous touch of Jesus, and being healed immediately of his disease, he was now able to mingle with the crowd inside the city. On the other hand, Jesus started out in the city, among the people. After having met the leper, now he was having to locate himself out in the wilderness, in the isolation. Even though we find out 
People found where he was and they still came to him. But what we recognize is, is that Jesus not only touches the leper, he trades places with him too. And as John MacArthur has noted, what we find here is a metaphor for what Jesus did for us on the cross. You see, as, as spiritual lepers, we live in alienation and in isolation from God. And the only way we could ever be taken from our isolation and brought into the presence of God was if Jesus left the presence of God himself and went into isolation for us. And that's what he did on the cross. On the cross, Jesus was forsaken. As the writer of Hebrews expresses it, he, he, so that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, he suffered outside the gate. Consequently, what we come to understand is because Jesus was treated as an outcast, we can be accepted and we can be welcomed into the very presence of God. And that leads me to my sermon in the sentence this morning. And my sermon in the sentence is this. Jesus touches and trades places with every untouchable and outcast sinner who will admit their unclean and hopeless condition and in humility come to him in faith. Friends, do you want to know why believers sing praises and why we bless the Lord? If you're here this morning and you find a little bit of what we're doing here on Sunday mornings to be a little odd, do you want to know why we sing and why we, why we express such emotion? It is because as we sang earlier in the service, we still remember where we were. We still remember what life was like before Jesus came and touched us. We know because of our sin what was, we were headed for in the direction that we were going. Before Jesus came and touched us and healed us. We were once helpless, but now we're hopeful. We were once untouchable, but now we have been touched by His grace. We were once outcasts, dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we have been healed of our disease. We've been made alive. We've been forgiven of our sin. We've been brought near to God through the Christ's atoning work on the cross. We've been touched by Christ. We've been made clean by His blood. And He has traded places with us by becoming the curse that we deserved. So this morning, our text has provided us with an illustration of the miraculous grace of God. And my question is, do you see that? Do you recognize that apart from the touch of of Christ, you remain just like that leper, hopeless and helpless. I hope and pray that you recognize that because such a recognition is necessary to receive the salvation that Christ offers you. And, and so is a repentant and humble spirit. So let me ask you, will you humbly come to Christ and confess your need of His healing? Will you repent of your sinfulness and trust in His work on the cross to save you. This is my prayer, that you will not go away this morning believing Satan's lies. He, he really tells us two that will damage us eternally. Number one, he tells us there's really nothing wrong with you. You don't really need anything. That's the first lie. And the second lie is there's so much wrong with you and you're so bad that you can never be healed of your sin. Both of those are lies from Satan. I want you to know the first one. You can't say there's nothing wrong with you because Jesus Christ would have never had to come and die on a cross if there was not a sin problem that we had to deal with. That tells us, first of all, that there's a problem that must be dealt with. But the second one that says that you're too bad that God can never forgive you, 
When Jesus Christ rose from the grave on the third day, defeating death, hell, and the grave, his resurrection proves that there is no one who is beyond the healing grace that he comes to offer. And my prayer is this morning is that you will not walk out that door believing either of those two lies, but rather that you will humble yourself before a Christ who has come to touch you, to trade places with you, that you might be healed eternally. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together.